All right, so we're talking about upside-down marriage, talking about the things that the Bible says that are often different from what we hear. And this is our uh, fourth week, and what we've been kind of seeing basically is this, that so many things that, that we uh, deal with in marriage, so many things that we deal with in relationships in general, with love in general, are really not uh, marriage issues, but they're heart issues, they're people issues, okay? And so in order to actually think through conflict or sex or dating or friendship or romance, or we have to think about, man, what's the heart of all of these different things? And that's why things are people issues, not so much marriage issues or, or just even relationship issues, okay? So this is what we've been looking at the last couple weeks. Tonight, we're going to talk about one of those big issues that that everybody thinks about when they think about marriage issues or even think about when they think about relationship issues, which is communication, okay? Communication, and communication is in many ways the heart of all relationships. You can't have a relationship with someone without communication, right? And you can't have a marriage without communication. I guess you could try, but it wouldn't really work. So communication in many ways is the heart behind marriage, behind relationships. And it's the path to intimacy. It's the path to oneness. It's the path to depth in a relationship. Communication is the path towards all that stuff, but not just communication in general, but good communication. Good communication is the path to to depth of relationship, right? If you've got friends that you're close with, it's because there's good communication. If your marriage is good, it's because there's good communication, right? So communication is in many ways the heart of good relationships, good communication. And yet, it's difficult, right? I mean, communication isn't something that just easily flows. It's not something that just easily happens. There's a lot of complaints that people have about communication. So think about this. If you're married, think about it in terms of your marriage. If you've got um, coworkers or a boss that you feel like there's communication issues with, or roommates that you feel like there's communication issues with, or family that you feel like there's communication issues with, people bring all sorts of complaints about communication. And it might be things like, man, I try to talk, a wife might say something like, I try to talk to my husband, but he just doesn't respond try to talk to him and he's always distracted he's always watching tv or playing video games and i'm trying to talk with him or husband might say man every time my wife is talking with me she's nagging me about this or she's criticizing me about that or they might say something like man every time we try to talk we just get into arguments every time we try to talk about anything serious there's always tension there's always conflict there's always fighting we can never talk about anything beyond our schedule and the budget anything we talk about turns into a fight or maybe people say, man, we just don't talk that much. So maybe there's bad communication. Maybe there's miscommunication. Maybe there's just no communication. Communication is one of those top things that people complain about in any sort of relationship. It's one of those top things that, that we talk about. In fact, um, Dr. John Gottman, who's at the University of Washington, has this thing called the Love Lab which sounds exciting, but it's not. What it is, is they've studied hundreds of couples, and he has been able to predict with 91% accuracy if a couple will get divorced. So he's kind of like a hero in the marriage writing world, because this is, I mean, they've done these studies for years and years and years, and been able to show with 91% accuracy if a couple is going to get divorced or not. How does he do that? It's based on observing their communication. So he observes their communication patterns, he sees the different ways they communicate, and he's able to tell you if that couple will get divorced or not. 
So this is, it's a big issue, right? Communication is a really important issue. So here's the, the first question. Why is communication difficult? Why is it something that, you know, if people are dating, when they're dating, communication is amazing, right? It's just, oh, I can't wait to talk to you. And, oh, man, we talk about everything. We go on long walks and just endless hours. I lay upside down in my bed on my phone and talk to you. And it's, oh, the rush to my head. And that's because that's you're upside down. And it's just, oh, the, the feelings. And we just, it, communication is nonstop and great. I remember, man, when I was dating, I loved to be on the phone. I hate the phone. I hate it. But, oh, when you're dating, it's just amazing, right? Why is communication difficult? Why does it go from something good to then something bad? Why does communication become something that, though it's the path to intimacy and oneness and friendship, instead it becomes something that is one of the deepest sources of complaint and conflict and stress and tension? Why, why is communication difficult? And here's what we need to see. If we focus on communication, we'll never understand why communication is so difficult. See, I, I've talked to many, many people that are, and this isn't just true with couples, because many people complain. I was actually, I did a Google search about miscommunication, and there was things from sports to criminals to car accidents to, I mean, just all across the board, communication issues, okay? So, but if we focus on communication, we will actually miss the point, because almost everyone I've talked to that's a couple whether that's pre-marriage counseling or post-marriage counseling or couples kind of talking about, hey, should we get married? Almost everybody says, I've got communication issues. What's, what's the issue in your relationship? Communication. What does that mean? Well, you know, I, I kind of mentioned some of these. We try to talk about something and it turns into a fight. Oh, communication issues. Or uh, he never tells me what he's doing. So he's off doing this thing, and I'm off doing this thing, and I didn't know that it was going to happen. I didn't know that he had plans for that night. We have bad communication. Or, um, you know, he's talking, he talks, he talks uh, critical to me in front of our friends. Bad communication. Or we've got communication issues. Every time we try to talk about something serious, he just tunes out. We've got bad communication. We've got communication issues. Or I killed him in his sleep. Communication issues. Right? Everything is called a communication issue. Everything is just turned into, we've got communication issues. That one didn't actually happen. I made that one up, okay? Like, oh yeah, those are some serious communication issues. But here's what happens. If everything is a communication issue, then what do we do? We focus on communication tips. Well, here's how you're supposed to talk, and here's how you're supposed to listen. You're supposed to have reflective listening, and you're supposed to have reflective talking, and you're supposed to... Uh, maybe, I mean, there's even things like, hey, hold this object while you're talking and then pass it to the other person while they're talking. There, I, you guys ever watch Shark Tank? There was like this whole thing that this guy was selling that was basically, I can't remember what it was, but it was just an object, an elephant, yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, this stuffed animal elephant, this is like a marriage counseling tool, hold this. And then your communication issues will be solved. Because if communication is the issue, then what we do is go, how can we work on communication techniques? How can we work on communication techniques? But that's not enough. That's not enough because ignorance of how we are to communicate isn't the issue. Ignorance of how to communicate with one another is not the issue. Here's, here's how Jesus says this, okay? He says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what does Jesus say the communication, the speaking issues actually are? They're heart issues. But if what we do is say, man, I've got a communication issue here, and I've got a communication issue here, and I've got a communication issue here, then all we do is stay at the surface of, well, here's how you can better communicate the evil in your heart. And here's how you can better listen to someone else's evil in their heart. So we focus on communication technique instead of going down. And Jesus says, no, the issue isn't how you speak. The issue is your heart. The issue is that out of your heart flows speaking. Out of your heart comes good speech or bad speech. Jesus says it is the heart. The communication issues aren't actually communication issues. They're heart issues. That's what Jesus tells us. See, I mean, one of the top issues that people bring to the table in any relationship, any relationship you have a problem in right now, even just think about that. Now, what relationship do you have a problem in right now? And you might go, well, yeah, it's bad communication. Really? What does that mean? Underneath the bad communication is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Now, what does that mean? Because, I mean, that's kind of, oh, oh, it's just a heart issue. So we need heart elephants instead, you know, heart techniques. Well, what it means is all sorts of things, okay? And we could talk about tons of heart issues that lead to communication issues. We could talk about all sorts of those things. But I just want to talk about two things tonight. Two heart issues that lead to our communication issues, okay? And let's first talk about, let's first talk about how we can grow in sharing, So in communication, and this is just really basic, okay, we've got somebody that is sharing something, and we've got somebody that's responding to what's being shared, okay? So we're going to talk about both of those things and two heart issues that we can grow in that help get at the heart that then changes the communication, okay? So the first is, how can we grow in sharing? Because part of communication is we say things, right? How can we grow in that? And one of the heart issues, one of the heart issues that we need to work on, one of the hard issues that needs to be addressed is honesty, okay? And so I'm going to talk about this, but first I'm just going to show you a cheesy video, okay? So watch this video, and then we'll talk about honesty. Golfing today? Yeah. It's the second time this week. But you said it was fine. It is fine. It's perfectly fine. Are you confused by female behavior? Wish you had a translator to understand what she means? Well, you're in luck. Introducing the Manslator, a revolutionary device that translates woman language into simple man words. Finally, the power to know what she means. Okay, cool. Let me just check with my wife. Hey, babe, a tea time opened up later. You mind if I go? Fine. If that's what you want to do. No go! Stay home! On second thought, I think I'll just stay here with you and watch The Notebook. Aw, how sweet. Now that's more like it. The Manslater uses emotion-deciphering technology to help you out of the toughest jams. Hey, is everything okay? You sound upset. Why would I be upset? Forgot anniversary, jerk! Oh, no way! Happy anniversary, babe. You remembered. Come on, of course I did. (laughs) 
thanks to the Manslater's patented FemLogic processing chip, now any man can decode statements like... Are you wearing that? You change! Now! Hey, do you want to get some coffee? Me want coffee! Do you think she's pretty? You think she? Prettier than me? Aw, you're such a good friend. Me never date you! I'm fine. Me not fine! I'll be ready in five minutes. Me ready 30 minutes! Do whatever you want. You know do what you want. Could you rub my shoulders a little bit? No, hanky pinky Only massage! Be serious! The man's later even works on men. Finally, women can learn the deeper meaning of his words. Whoa. Your beauty is stunning. Hey, mind if I catch a movie with the guys? You are a lovely, wonderful woman who meets all of my needs. And even though I will miss you, this night I wish to see Death Cop 9 with my bros. I'm fine. I'm fine. Really. Stop looking at me. That's, you know, kind of cheesy, and it sort of, I don't know if it's, uh, who it's picking on, if it's picking on, uh, guys or gals. Can you uh, forward to the next slide for me? But um, it gets at one of the main issues, one of the main heart issues in communication, which is honesty. And those are just some silly examples, but kind of everyday things that actually happen, right? How do we grow in sharing? One of the heart issues is honesty. One of the heart issues is honesty. And I want you to think about this. How much do you, you know, and I'll, I'll speak to spouses, but think about this just in any of the relationships you have where there's communication issues. How much do you withhold? So even in some of those examples, right? I'm, I'm fine, me not fine, right? So how much do you hold in? Whether that's struggles that you have or fears that you have or problems that you're going through or desires that you have, how much do you withhold? How much do you keep close and not actually reveal? In the relationships that you have where there's communication issues, how much do you withhold? To your spouse, how much do you not actually share honestly? Here's what's going on. Honestly, I want you to stay home. Honestly, I'm a little worried you're forgetting it's our anniversary. I mean, how much do we actually not reveal? And there's a few kind of common ways that we do this, a few kind of common ways that we're dishonest. And dishonest doesn't just mean lying, okay? It just means that you're not revealing where you actually are, what's actually going on with you. Here's a few common ways we do that. One of those is that we put each other in no-win situations. The most classic example of that is the, the woman that says, does this make me look fat? And what is anyone supposed to say to that? right? I mean, you should say no, but I mean, but then it can be, come on, tell me the truth, tell me the truth. And you're like, uh, I can't do it. But I mean, that's just, you know, everybody knows that example. But how about this? How about for you guys, maybe this happens with you sometimes or, or gals. I know this is one that I noticed in myself that maybe there's something going on. I'm kind of feeling discouraged. I'm kind of feeling down. And maybe my wife says to me, Hey, are you okay? And I say, no, I'm fine. But what if I'm not okay? I've kind of put her in a no-win situation because if she goes, oh, you're okay, okay, sweet, and then walks off, then I might be thinking, what the heck? Don't you know I'm not okay? Can't you see that I'm discouraged? Can't you see that I'm sad? Why would you think that I'm being honest with you when I said I'm not okay? Can't you see? Or 
if she says, no, you're not okay, I can tell, then it's really easy to be like, stop annoying me. I told you I'm okay. You put someone in a no-win situation by not being honest. That's just that's a little way, right? Those are everyday ways that we go, I'm not totally going to share with you what's going on in my world. Or another way we do that is by dropping hints. You drop hints. So instead of actually being honest and communicating what's going on, you kind of hint at something. That way you kind of have some maybe plausible deniability of what you are actually saying. So here's an example of that. Maybe there's, um, maybe there's a, a, a lady that uh, decides, maybe she feels like, man, my husband's not helping around at the house at all. I do everything. Do all the dishes, do all the cleaning, help out with the kids. I do everything. And so how does she communicate that? Maybe the way she communicates that is saying, I'm so exhausted, I'm going to bed. And every night kind of starts to say something like that. Man, I'm so exhausted, I'm just going to bed. I'm just so tired. And what she means is, hey, I would like you to help me around the house. But maybe the husband gets frustrated. Like, man, why do you keep going to bed early all the time? Why do you keep telling me how tired you are? Dropping hints, but not actually being honest. Or maybe here's another one. Here's another example that we do. We kind of do sneak attacks. So you might say something like, um, so I, you know, I kind of think about, let's say, a husband that says, and why do you, maybe he says to his wife, why are you always on your phone? Why are you just always on your phone at night? Okay, let's talk about it at night. So it's 9 p.m., wife is looking at Facebook. Could you stop looking at your phone all the time? We need to have a rule, no looking at phones past 9 o'clock. And really, he kind of wants to do something during that hour. But it's kind of sneak attacking, referring to sex. Okay, so if you're like, huh, what is he talking about? What, does he want, what would he want to do? It's a sneak attack, okay? Like, stop, stop looking at your phone. Stop always looking at your phone. Might mean, man, I'd like to do something. But instead, it's a sneak attack. He's attacking something else. Or a wife that says, Man, why do you always watch TV? We need to stop watching so much TV. You watch so much TV, it's just out of control. And she really means, I'd like you to talk with me more. I'd like to spend some time communicating. But see, all of those are ways that we don't actually reveal honestly what's going on. You know? We kind of protect ourselves. We hold it close to our chest, what actually is happening with us. Why does this happen? It's not skill, right? It's not technique. Well, oh, I know it would fix that. We need more communication techniques. No, it's hard stuff, right? It's honesty. That there's issues happening in our heart that keep us from actually disclosing where we are and what's going on with us. Now this, again, I'm kind of talking about marriage, but this plays into all sorts of relationships where we do no-win situations, we kind of do sneak attacks, we kind of drop hints instead of actually saying, Here's what's going on with me. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I desire. Here's what I want. I miss you. I'd like to talk with you. I'm disappointed in this. Instead, we are dishonest because we're trying to protect ourselves. Here's how the Bible kind of talks about where this problem originated. All the way back in the garden, 
And this first verse is with Adam and Eve when things were going really well. Okay, and listen to what this says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, that is not talking just about pure nudity. It's talking about something deeper, this not ashamedness. That they were one, they were naked and were unashamed. It means they were totally open, totally known by the other person. But then what happens? Just a few verses later, after they sin, after they turn away from God, this is one of the effects of sin. And this is true for every single one of us, one of the effects of sin. It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they felt exposed. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here's what happens. They sin. When sin enters into the world, what happens? They cover up. They hide. They hide from God and they hide from each other. One of the effects of sin is that we feel like we have to hide. We feel like, man, if somebody really knew me, if somebody really saw me, it would be bad. If, if, and we feel like that all the time, right? Like if somebody saw who I was, if somebody really knew, I mean, that, wh- why is it that we're not willing to share something and say, you know what, I, I, really, I really would like to talk more? feels vulnerable. Why aren't we willing to say, man, I'd really like you to stay home and hang out with me. It feels vulnerable. It feels like we're opening up our heart for someone to really see what's going on. Why do we keep the struggles that we struggle with so close instead of revealing those? Why do we keep the fears so close? Because we're afraid of being exposed. We're afraid of being seen for who we really are. We're afraid of, what will someone do if they, I mean, think about this. What if somebody really knew you? What if somebody saw everything going on inside your heart and mind? That's kind of scary, right? We feel like we have to cover up. Now, we don't use fig leaves anymore, at least I don't think. I don't use fig leaves. But instead, we use other things. We use dishonesty. We use some sort of projected image. We use all sorts of other things to protect ourselves so that people can't really see who we are, can't really see what's going on. Now, here's what is amazing, how Jesus deals with that. In Isaiah, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So listen to what this says that Jesus does. And in the New Testament, we hear even more explicitly that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Here's what it says. We have been clothed with salvation. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. So here's what it's saying. We don't have to be afraid of being exposed anymore. We don't have to try to cover ourselves up 
to protect ourselves so that people can't actually see what's inside, what's going on, because we wear the garments of salvation, the garments of his righteousness. And here's, here's what that means. It means a couple things. One, it means this, you're forgiven. See, if you really believe God has forgiven me of all the stuff I try not to let other people see is going on with me. So think about the sin in you. And you don't want other people to see that. But what if you've been covered with salvation? What if salvation is like a big giant coat that you put on and that's what you look like now? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he gives us a garment of salvation, which means, man, the stuff that you see inside of your heart, you're forgiven of. So that doesn't define you anymore. So it's okay if people see that because that isn't really who you are. But there's also another side of it. It's that you are accepted. You're accepted. See, we fear other people seeing us for who we are because what if they reject us? And they might. We fear telling people, here's what I'm actually struggling with. Here's what I actually want. Here's what my emotional state actually is. Here's what I'm actually worried about in our relationship. It's not really your phone. It's that I miss you and want to connect sexually. It's that I miss you and want to communicate and talk and feel like that's not happening. It's that I'm discouraged and I, and I want you to know my discouragement. We're able to share that because we are not rejected by him. So you may be rejected by somebody else. Okay, I can't promise that that doesn't happen. But when you wear, man, I have been protected by him. I've been accepted by him, that he sees me and knows me and has covered me, that I'm not naked anymore and trying to cover up with all sorts of other things. What Jesus has done in salvation is that he has clothed you in his garments. Now, if you live out of that, so if you believe, man, I've received that gift, that creates an openness that you're allowed to share more freely who you are because you don't have to protect yourself because you've been covered by him. One of the things that sin introduced into the world was this feeling of shame and of people will reject me and of I don't have worth and I don't have value and I'm afraid of what other people think of me and I'm, it introduced that so that we hide and don't really let people see us. But what Jesus does is says, man, look what you're wearing. You're wearing my salvation. You're wearing my acceptance. You're wearing my worth. You're wearing my value. So that when we step out into the world, it's okay to share who we are. Because this is what defines us. Now, when you receive that, you're able to live out of that and be more honest. You're able to share more who you are because you don't have to protect yourself so much. See, what do we want? We want to be known. Now, we're afraid of being known, but we want to be known and loved at the same time, right? To be known and then not loved, that's terrifying, right? For someone to know you and then reject you, that's scary. But for someone to love you and think the world of you but not really know you, that's just superficial. But to be known and to be loved, 
That's why, you know, the movie I think is stupid, and no offense if you, if you like it, but Avatar. Um, but one thing I've always liked from it is they, uh, instead of saying I love you, the, the way they say that is they say I see you. And that's a really powerful thing. Because it's, man, I see you, and I love you. I know you. I see who you are. And what God does for us is he says, I see you like this. That because of what Jesus has done, I see you wearing garments of salvation. I see you, I know you, and I love you. So when we receive that from him, what we're able to do then is live like that before others. If you see that the God of the universe goes, I see you, I see it all, and I've forgiven you of the bad stuff, and I accept you, and I love you, then we're able to more freely walk before others and give that same gift to them of being open and honest to us. So this is a heart issue. This isn't technique. How do we change to be more honest with each other? How do we change? It's not just technique of communication skill. It's man, our hearts have to be reoriented to be operating out of this beautiful picture. And when they do, we're able to be more honest. This is where intimacy and oneness and friendship begins. You're able to share who you are. You're able to share who you are. This is a lot better than just kind of manipulating and tricks and, and even tips. It's, man, it's safe to be honest about you, okay? And hear me on that. I'm not saying be honest about them. Sometimes when we think about honesty, what we think about is, oh, I'm going to be honest about everything wrong with you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're, on, you're able to be honest about who you are, to share your fears, your struggles, your desires, your hopes, what's going on in your heart. You're able to share that because this is what's defining you. You're accepted here. So even if you are rejected here, it doesn't have the same amount of power to crush you. So this is, how do we grow in sharing? One of the big ways, and this is just one way, okay? We could talk about countless things, but one of the big ways is we have to grow in being honest. Here's who I am. Here's what's going on. I'm not trying to connive and drop hints and sneak attack over here and put you in no-win situations. I'm able to be honest. And we're able to do that when we're resting in the reality of Jesus clothing us. Okay, but second is this. How can we grow in responding? So how do we grow in responding when other people share with us? Because maybe, maybe one of, you know, if you're married or you're in some sort of relationships where somebody is open and they are honest and they share with you what's on their heart and they share with you what they're going through and they share their world with you, how do we grow in responding to that? How can we grow in responding? One of the big parts of communication is growing and sharing, and then one is growing and responding to those that do share to us. And this is difficult. When someone begins to share with you their world and actually opens up and says, hey, here's my world. I'm going to let you see it. It can be difficult to respond to that because just at a fundamental level, because people are different, right? I mean, people are different. We live in, I mean, even just that image of world, we live in different worlds. I mean, there's gender differences, and there's, there's personality differences, and there's family background, the way we were raised differences, and there's, I mean, just experiential differences of things we've gone through. I mean, we're just different, right? 
So you experience your world way different than I experience my world, or at least somewhat different, depending on the person, right? We experience life and we experience our worlds in different ways, and we have for a long time. So when someone begins to share their world with us, we can look at it and be like, I don't understand that world. I don't get that world. That's a weird world. We don't get it. So even just at a fundamental level, it's difficult to respond when someone begins to share their world with us because it's just different from ours. It's just different. And what happens is often when someone actually begins to share their world with us, we don't enter into it. We stay in ours. So someone begins to be open. Someone begins to be honest. Someone begins to share their heart with us. And we go, "Mm, I think I'd rather stay here. Here's kind of a handful of ways we do that. These are from a a counselor, author named Larry Crabb. Crabb. Okay. So listen, listen to these. One of the ways that we kind of reject when someone begins to share their world is that we defend or explain. So think about, um, and he gives the example, the reason I said that or what I meant was, think about maybe you're in some sort of conflict with somebody. And they, and, and they, they kind of say, well, you know what? I've got a problem with you. Uh, the way you talked with me was really critical. It was really harsh. It was demeaning, whatever. Okay, now, what is that person's experience? What is that, what is that world like? What is the world like of that person that says, man, when you talked with me, it felt like you were cutting me down. Okay, think about that world of that person, that that's what it felt like, whether they're right or wrong. But when they begin to share that world with us, instead of going, okay, I'm going to enter into that world, one of the ways that we stay in our own world is by saying, well, the reason I said that was this, right? So we're not even thinking of going into their world. We're just staying in ours by saying, well, what I meant was this, and Keep your feelings in your world over there. Or another way is this, we apologize. And that might seem kind of weird, but one of the ways you can cut conversation really quick is just apologizing. So if somebody says to you, you know what? Um, The way you treated me was awful. I felt like you were a total jerk. And... I I think every time that we talk, you're really disrespectful. And you go, I'm sorry. Have you really entered into that world? Have you really felt the world of what's going on with that person? Or have you just kind of said, I'm sorry, and then moved along? I hate when customer service people, you're talking to them sometimes, and they, well, I'm sorry, sir. They're like, no, you don't even know my world. Feel my world for a minute. You don't know the pain you've caused me. Comcast or whoever, right? (laughs) pretty much anybody. I'm sorry is one way to really quickly just cut off conversation. Somebody begins to share with you their world and you just cut it off by saying, I'm sorry. Or attacking the other person. So they share with you their heart. They share with you their world. And you say, well, I admit I did that, but you did this. You're still not entering into that person's world. Or you advise the other person. This is le- the first three are kind of more about conflict. This is just a little bit more about you know the typical um, male female differences, although it doesn't always uh, break down like that. But somebody shares, man, I've got this work issue going on. 
Uh, things are really stressful at work. My boss keeps giving me things to do that aren't really my responsibility. And you go, well, I got an idea. Why don't you talk to your boss? Why don't you give him, um, you know, why don't you send him an email and say, hey, can I have 15 minutes and talk? And go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't even enter my world of what the experience is like of being thrown up. So, you know, this is something I think many of us struggle with, okay? But I remember this one time that uh, my wife had, was cutting, um, I don't remember what she was cutting, cutting something with a really sharp knife, okay? And she chopped off a big chunk of her finger, okay? Or, you know, that's maybe exaggerating. She sliced it. She had to get stitches because she sliced it, pretty, sliced it pretty deep. And I heard her, like, scream or something, and I came in, and my initial reaction, I didn't say this, but I felt this, was to say, so by God's grace, I didn't, but I wanted to say, well, babe, you know, that's why we, you're supposed to use a cut glove. and blah, blah. You know, But that's not the time to say that, right? Maybe at another time we can talk about the benefits of cut gloves. But at that point when she's bleeding, she doesn't need advice, right? And to me, that now has been a good picture of future instances of when something bad is happening that doesn't necessarily involve blood and knives, but involves something emotionally difficult, does right now, as she's emotionally bleeding, need me to remind her about cut gloves? No. Now, cut gloves are great, right? And so it doesn't mean that we never give advice to somebody. Advice is really helpful at the right time. But see, that's still not a way to enter into the world of somebody and what they're dealing with. One way is disdain. I don't really see why you feel that way. There's no need to feel that way. So someone kind of shares how they're feeling. Instead of entering into their world, you just tell them they shouldn't feel like that. And maybe that's even trying to be encouraging sometimes. Hey, you don't need to be sad about that. Hey, you don't need to be upset about that. Hey, you don't, well, I am. And so if I am, will you come enter into this world that I'm sad and upset in? Or will you just tell me that my world is stupid? Or to correct them. What I think you really mean is this, or I don't think you feel like that. Just kind of tell, we just deny the emotion that they share with us. So how can we grow in responding? The way that we grow in responding is by entering into someone else's world, okay? When they open their world to us, when they share their world with us, we are trying to enter into the experience they're having in their world. I mean, this is just... Really basic, like, you know, walk in somebody else's shoes or empathy or that kind of thing that people talk about. But think about all, I mean, there's a big old list of ways of times that we don't do that. Somebody actually opens up with us and shares their world with us. And instead of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what that's like in that world, we push it away. We deny it. We keep away from it. Now, why do we do that? What's going on in our hearts that keeps us from doing that? Because, I mean, most people will tell you, I mean, if you read marriage books or marriage advice or, I mean, mo- or even just relationship advice, what, what you'll hear is this. Empathy is the key. That's basically, I just boiled down tons of research for you. Empathy is the key. So why aren't we empathetic? Why don't we enter into other people's worlds? It's not just, well, we need to grow to be better listeners and we need listening techniques and we need to, you know, here's how you can listen better. And it's, it's not just technique. What is it in our hearts that causes us not to enter into someone's world? And fundamentally, it's selfishness. 
It's a self-centeredness. It may be a selfishness that it's really uncomfortable to go to your world, right? I like my world. I've been living in it for a long time. I've built it. Things go the way I want them to go. Everybody agrees with me in my world. It's a great world. And it's difficult to enter into someone else's world. It's just uncomfortable. I mean, even just at a basic level of, you know, sometimes, and again, this is stereotypical, and yet uh, it doesn't have to be this way. Oftentimes, guys are more, just give me the facts, and ladies more, kind of give a more robust story of things. So how was your day? Good. That's the guy response. How was your day to the lady? And it, it can be 20 minutes or more, right? That's not bad or good. It's just differences. And it's sometimes uncomfortable to leave my world to enter into that world. It's easy to say, I don't need to hear all that. Just tell me if anything destructive happened. Because that's what my world, that's how the rules are in my world. It's uncomfortable to enter into someone else's world just because it's, we're just selfish. We like to stay in our world. It's easier to live in our world. But it's also pride. It's not just that I don't want to leave my world because it's comfortable. It's I think my world is right. I think it's better. Right? I think my world is the right way. I think talking on the phone is a sin. I think in my world, it's right. People shouldn't talk on the phone. It gives you cancer. It's not good. It's not good. Okay? I mean, I could keep going on about how it's not good. Okay? In my world, it's right. I don't want to enter into your world because it's uncomfortable and I'm selfish, but also because I think my world is right. Here's how Paul Tripp, author, marriage counselor, says this. It's self-love that makes you more committed to what you understand than to understanding your spouse. So what is it that keeps me from trying to understand your world? It's the love of myself. It's self-love that causes you not to listen well. It's self-love that makes you unwilling to wait until you are sure that you have understood your spouse. It's self-love that keeps you from viewing your spouse's words, perspectives, desires, and opinions as valuable. It's self-love that fills your brain so full of what you think and know that you have little room for your spouse's thoughts. See, if we are so focused on ourselves, we have this self-love in a prideful way that thinks, I don't need to enter your world. My world is the right one. I don't need to wait until you finish talking. I already know that you're wrong. I can already correct you. I don't need to hear everything. I can just, I, I already, this world is good. My world is good. So I don't have to listen. I don't have to be patient. I don't have to try to understand your perspective because I already know my world is right. So how do we grow in responding it's not just technique, right? There's a fundamental selfishness that keeps us staying in our world. Man, what a beautiful thing it is to do to when someone else begins to share that you just go, help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand. Help me understand what you're experiencing. But that's hard, right? Not because of technique, but because of selfishness. Because we want to stay in our world. So how, how do we change in that? Well, again, we look to Jesus, not just technique. And look at this in Hebrews. This is, I, mean, I just love this passage. It's one of the most beautiful things. 
He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's what it says about Jesus. He entered into our world. Think about what this says about God. That he would actually take on human flesh to understand our weaknesses, to understand even the, t- I mean, to understand the temptation. This says Jesus, this is a weird thing to think about. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin, but he was tempted in every way that you and I are. Every way. Jesus was tempted to be dishonest. He was tempted to stay in his own world out of pride. He was tempted to be arrogant. He was tempted to be impatient. He was tempted to have sinful anger. He was tempted sexually. He was tempted by other people's opinions mattering more to him. He was tempted in every way that we are. Isn't that amazing? And isn't it amazing that he would willingly enter, that he would pass through the heavens and say, I am going to become a human so that I feel what they feel. So that I can identify with their, I mean, he literally took on our shoes, right? He took on our skin. He entered into this world to identify with us, to feel our pain, to feel our struggle. No other God has done that. That's an amazing thing. And the result of that is then we are able with confidence to draw near to him because we know, man, he's been through it. He's been through it and he must love me so I can go to him and he understands and he has the power to actually make something happen and he cares for me that he would do that. So how does this change us? Well, it changes us because, I mean, just the principle of life is that you are able to give what you've received. So if you really believe this is who Jesus is, and you ex- and is this the Jesus that you worship? What I mean by that is, do you think about Jesus like this to you? So what are you going through? What are you struggling with? Jesus has been there. What, whatever it is, loneliness, Anxiety, fear, abandonment. Jesus has walked it and he understands it and he walked through it. He, he int- I mean, this is what's crazy. He intentionally did it. We don't intentionally suffer, right? No one goes, hey, you know, this, the next week, I think I'm gonna try to suffer a little bit. That might be a good week. But Jesus did. He said, I am going to enter into your world so I feel the pain and the temptation and the pressure that you feel so I can identify with it. So what are you going through? He passed through the heavens to get to you so he could feel what you feel. Now, that's what I'm talking about when I say, is this the Jesus that you worship? Is this, when you think about God, when you think about Jesus, is this what is filling your mind? 
Because the more you see him like this, having entered into your world, the more that your heart is changed to want to enter into other people's worlds. The more that you are reflecting on Jesus like this, a God that is one that empathizes with us and enters into weakness, doesn't reject our weakness, but says, I'll take on your weakness, I'll identify with it, I'll serve. The more you see him like that to you, the more you're then able to give that to others, to respond to others the same way he's been to you. This is what changes us. Not technique, but this changes our hearts that enables us to go, man, I want to enter other people's worlds because I'm so grateful he entered mine. Man, I want to be able to identify, I want to understand you because it feels so good to be understood by him. I know what that's like to struggle and have someone say, I'll identify. And we go, man, that's, that's changed me, so I want to give that to you. When you're given something good, you want to give that to others. Last thing, when do we do this? So when do we communicate? To grow in sharing, we need to grow in honesty. To grow in responding, we need to grow in empathy and in entering into other people's worlds. But when does this all happen? And the answer is two things. One is every day. But the other is this, you need to carve out, especially if you're married, intentional time to communicate. When are you going to share what's going on in your heart and be open and be honest? And, and I'm not going to say tons about this, but let me just rattle off a few things. I mean, I would suggest, especially the busier your life is, man, the end of the day, take 15 minutes and just talk about, man, what's going on? How you doing? How... I mean, some people say this, and you know, if, you're, if you like a lot of structure, go for it. Do this. And say, man, what's three things that happened in your day, and how did you feel about them? Kind of what's the emotions going on in your world? Help me understand it. So carve out the last 15 minutes of your day and spend it together talking. Talk after church. Man, what, what did God say to you? What was going on in your heart? How are you processing this? How are you experiencing this? Not, not, hey, what did you think about the music? Hey, what did you think about the sermon from that kind of level? But man, what, what's going on in your heart about this stuff? How did God speak to you? Car find actual times to carve out, to communicate. And one last note on that. Love thinks about the other person. And so it thinks about when the appropriate time to communicate is. So it doesn't say, hey, I'm going to just kind of ambush you with a bunch of questions about your heart when you are uh, kind of just at work or you're going crazy, or you're stressed out. It doesn't say, hey, let's talk when it's just not an appropriate time. So love goes, how can I find the right time to communicate? Okay, so that's it. That's all I have to say. It's um, <laughs> a good conclusion, huh? <laughs> so... We're going to take communion, and when we take communion, we're remembering everything we just talked about. And look, look at this. This is, we don't come up here and just kind of stand in an aura. Jesus even wanted to give us a reminder that he entered into our world physically. So when he wanted us to remember what he did for us, when he wanted us to remember that he went to the cross and died for us and forgave us and clothed us, when he wanted us to remember that, it wasn't just with words. 
He said, remember that I came, that I entered your world, took on flesh. And so we take bread, remembering his body was broken, and we drink wine or juice, remembering his blood was shed. He wanted us to remember that he really entered our world because he really cares. So as you take communion, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to remember that Jesus passed through the heavens to enter our world because he loves you. And I want you to remember that because of that, we're clothed. So you don't have to have shame. You don't have to hide. You don't have to fear rejection because you've been accepted by him. And this proves it. Okay? So we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing songs because he's a good God that we love that has entered our world. So pray with me. God, thank you that you have done these things. Jesus, thank you that um, God, thank you that you just have this mind-blowing love that you would be willing to suffer for us. That you knew what you were getting into when you entered humanity, that you knew that you would be tempted, that you knew that you would suffer physically and emotionally and spiritually, but you wanted to enter our world. Thank you for that. And God, I thank you that we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to feel shame anymore. We don't have to fear not being accepted anymore because you have clothed us in your acceptance and in your salvation of the things that we see inside of us that we know aren't good. You've clothed us in forgiveness and you've clothed us in love and grace and acceptance. I thank you for that, God. I pray that those truths would become more real to all of us. That those would become more tangible even as we take communion now and sing now, that those things would just become more and more real to our hearts who you are and what you've done for us, Jesus.